0: Make America great again. Take our country back. In these phrases, a lot of people hear a barely disguised longing for a white America, or at least one in which white people were the overwhelming majority, their dominance unquestioned. This tension, this unease about the browning of the country did not just spring from nowhere during the 2016 election campaign. It's been building for a while, And it's not only white people who express discomfort with the cultural change brought by fast-growing immigrant communities. It's seen on radio. I'm John Bewin. Siler City, North Carolina, used to be a very typical southern town. Majority white with a substantial black population. Most people's families had been there a century or more. It was just about the last place a Spanish-speaking immigrant was likely to land until about 1990, when things started to change. A little, then a lot. Back in 2008, I spent a bunch of time in Siler City along with co-producer Tennessee Watson. By then, the town was roughly 50% Latino, thanks to chicken processing plants that had brought in lots of workers from Spanish-speaking countries. The piece that Tennessee and I put together tells the town's story entirely in the voices of Siler City. Stick around for an update after the documentary. This is El Nuevo South.
1: This neighborhood is a lot of old families. These people have been here since, I guess the town's been here. This is one of the oldest families in town right here. I used to cut that lady's grass when I was 10 years old. They've been there forever. My name is Eddie Ambrose Green, and I was born and raised right here on Airport Road in Solid City, North Carolina. In Solid City, we had two options. You either worked at the plant or you drove a truck. I knew I wasn't geared to work in the plant, so I started driving truck and hauling chickens from Solid City all over the country. Solid City, unfortunately, has always been a racially divided town. Like, out there where I live, and that, from the airport, when you turn on airport road, that's like all black section. So when you go past down into the country, it's like all white. So all through here now, but all these houses now are all Mexicans. This is the beginnings of downtown as you come from west to east. They're old brick buildings. Look at the workforce. This is a good time. They're changing shifts. That's almost the end of the day. You're seeing the Hispanic population getting off work at one of the major portrait processing plants in town. I don't mean to say this in a a, a racist kind of way, but if you ever seen a house overrun with roaches and you can't stop them, and it's like you look and there's two, when you look again, there's four, when you look back, there's seven. If you sit here, you'll notice you don't see a black person or a white person come out of this plant. At all.
2: I pretty much like here, because it's I don't know, it's a different experience since I used to live in the countryside in Guatemala. I'm Debra, I'm in the 12th grade, and we live here since 2002. It wasn't like this before, I think it were four mobile homes. And then the lady that owns this land, she decided to bring more mobile homes. It's like only Hispanics living here mostly from Mexico. I live with my parents, and I have three sisters and two brothers. My parents are Francisco and Florinda.
3: I'm Deborah's mom.
4: I worked for seven years in the chicken plant, one year with Pilgrim's Pride and six years with Gold Kiss. The packing areas where I work. You pack everything, what they call the breast, the tender, the leg. You throw it in the boxes, cover
5: them up, and throw them on the line. My name is Francisco. Right now, I work for a builder where we make walls for houses. I have to drive 40 minutes from here to where I work. But thanks to God for bringing us here, and we're here working. You come from one country to another not knowing about the culture, what life has been like in a place. We didn't know. I didn't know anything. What we have seen is that there are people, like in all places, who are good, and there are people who look at others with disdain, as if they're saying, you aren't from here, get out of here. I don't pay attention to them because I know I came to this country to work, and to watch over my family, to see to their future. I have a daughter who is about to graduate from high school. From what I see, she has always worked hard and gotten honors in her studies. And she likes soccer. Today's the
6: first day of the uh, team. We uh, spent the entire week Going through tryouts, and so uh, this morning we finalized the list. on this side, ladies. Yellow over here. Maria My name is Paul Quadros, and I am the head coach of the Jordan Matthews High School Soccer Program in Siler City. And in addition to that, I'm a journalist, an author, and an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Let's have Maria and um, Deborah.
2: Uh, I play defense stopper. stopper You have to not let the forwards go in there and make us a goal, so I try to do my best.
6: She is a lioness in the defensive line. I mean, she is the tiniest person out here, but she brings the biggest game. Hey, you got it. it. (laughs) One,
2: two, three. Let's Let's go, Lady Jets. One, two,
6: three, four, five. We're about um, a little over half uh, Latina girls. And the rest are white. We have one African-American. So it's a very diverse team.
7: I'm <laughs> um, Jenny Pleasance, and I'm here at Jordan Matthews, a little late for the soccer game. Um, we appear to be winning by four goals now. Um, I'm watching my child, Meredith Pleasant. She's number 18, and she's a right wing. But the funny thing is, when you go to the soccer games, none of their parents speak English. So they all sit on one side, and we all sit on the other. And we don't, I don't understand a thing they're saying. You know, how do you say your kid's playing really good if half the time you can't pronounce the name, you know, um, and they don't understand anything you're saying.
2: Go oh. Shannon!
7: But, you know, the biggest change I'd have to see would be at my pediatrician's. I grew up being able to walk in and they all knew who I was and I saw the same doctor and now when you go in there's 20 Hispanic families and kids everywhere and they have the lady up front speaks Spanish. I feel like I'm the minority and that does bother me. In a town that I grew up and raised my children in, you know, it's like, do you have Medicaid? Do you have your papers? I'm like, I've been coming here for 18 years. That frustrates me to sit in a room with, you know, all these Hispanic families and I know their children need health care too but the change in the environment in the pediatrician office is not like it was when you could just go take you know walk up to the window and say hey um, so-and-so sick it's just not what what it was when we why we went there to begin with.
6: Well I've always described uh, what a town like Siler City or now what the country's going through as sort of the uh, five stages of dealing with grief We're dealing with immigration or cultural change, and you know initially there might be denial. People saying, "Well, you know, it's not really going to change. It's not happening to our town." And when I got here, I heard a lot of depression from longtime residents. You know, a real sense of loss of uh, the community and the culture and everything that Siler City was.
3: We do have a 30% chance of showers, drizzle. We're 67 now in a here at WNCA.
8: Hey, do you drive a cool vehicle with those big aftermarket rims? Well, Wayne's Alignment Services, I am Barry Hayes. I am the Bear of the Air at WNCA Radio, AM 1570. I'm also the president, general manager of the company, and the janitor, and I mow the yards. I'm from this area. I'm from Central North Carolina, and You know, I've been in Siler City about 25 years. I came here to manage this radio station and just fell in love with the town. It was a rural town, a blue-collar town, uh, maybe 70% white, 30% black. Typical makeup of a, a small North Carolina town.
9: This is Ilana Dubester, and I'm the past executive director of a local Latino center called El Vinculo Hispano, or Hispanic Liaison in English. And um, we provide all kinds of direct services and advocacy. The agency, I helped start the agency with a group of people in the county back in 1995. But I remember coming here in 91 or early 92, and I came downtown and walked around these streets that we're walking right now, and um, it was a pretty uh, depressing scene. <laughs> I don't know if there's a nicer way to say that. Um, There were a few businesses downtown, but most of the downtown area, which is this two streets on Chatham Avenue, uh, were boarded up. There was nothing. And certainly, you know, as you can see from downtown, although it's still working itself up, you know, most shops are now open. And you see a lot of Latino businesses as well.
8: Siler City was an industrial town, but it was a dying industrial town, we were seeing uh, jobs falling by the wayside, and we were seeing the textile uh, industry downsizing. We were seeing our furniture industry downsizing. Our cotton mill was downsizing, and they continued to downsize for the next 20 years.
9: So, '91, there were already we were ready to start to see a Latino immigration, uh, and certainly I would notice people in supermarkets and stores and trying to read labels or trying to talk to people and and remember going home, scratching my head, saying, how, What? why, what's going on here? Why are people here? How are they getting here?
8: Well, as we were losing our, some of our mainstream industry, uh, the poultry industry was growing here in Siler City. And so they began attracting the uh, Hispanics into this region.
9: Very active recruitment, in Mexico in particular. And they would give bonuses for people bringing more people because they were really in shortage of Of workers, and they had you know chewed through the white population, chewed through the black population. Everybody, you know, over the years got their children to be better educated than themselves and you know, moving on to other work. The best guess now is that uh, Siler City is 50% Latino, about 5,000 people.
8: I think the uh, broader community here has welcomed uh, our newcomers with open arms. the only rub is we would just like for them to obey our laws and and learn some of our cultures here and keep clean yards
9: then in ninety six the town created a Hispanic task force. well, needless to say, there were no Hispanics on the task force, so they created two brochures. first, the Spanish was really poor. It was hard to understand some of it didn 't make any sense, but it was about. Junk in your yard, domestic violence, drugs, like in this country it's it's not okay to beat your wife. It was a very offensive brochure and made a lot of assumptions about us and who we are and who we aren't and what we are about. And it was all about you know we're a bunch of criminals and we got to learn how to behave.
8: Housing was a problem too. We had uh, folks who were moving into vacant houses and then they would be inviting their relatives to come and pretty soon we would have a house with 10, 15, who knows, maybe 20 people living in one house and they'd be parking their cars in the, all in the front yard and hanging their laundry out in the bushes and so forth. We had to, had to deal with that a little bit and trying to educate them as to uh, our ways here in
6: Siler City. So you got the depression and then you got this sort of sense of fear of their taking over. And then, you know, you, you have anger. And that's what we saw in 1999-2000 in Siler City. A lot of anger that eventually bubbled forth and culminated in this anti-immigrant rally that I think the town still tries to live down, the, the David Duke rally.
1: The truth and the reason why we're here today is because we have a deep, and abiding love for our heritage, for this town that your fathers and mothers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and mothers, they built with their sweat and their sacrifice and their
9: vision. This was on top of town hall. They maybe had 50 or 60 people, a couple hundred people on the outside of the event, a lot of them police officers, some curious people, some Latinos but not many people.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, what are we supposed to do? Just be quiet? Just keep our mouths shut while our country and our community and our town and our schools and our heritage is taken away from us? Is that what we're supposed to do? I say no, I say never!
8: This was brought in by an extremist group. This was not representative of the mindset here in Siler City at all and uh, we kind of hung our heads, you know, when that happened and couldn't wait for it to go away.
9: My sense, my opinion, is if that rally had been organized by some upstanding citizen and not tied to KKK, to the Grand Wizard, there would have been a lot more people. But because it had a KKK in it with David Duke, I mean, who wants to be seen with the KKK? I mean, a few do, and we know who they are, got their pictures. But uh, not many people are willing to do that nowadays.
6: So uh, there's been some, maybe some good things, that have come out of that Duke rally. Uh, But mostly it made people kind of think, you know, where they stood on this issue. You know, were they going to stand down there with David Duke and the Klan against the Latino population? Or were they going to try and find some other kind of accommodation to be able to live uh, in that town.
1: Okay.
10: Somewhere on that pad, there's a bunch of stuff in red. Anywhere Sometime, you want to start. Anywhere. Where you want to go? Anywhere. All
11: right.
10: My name is Tim Rife, and uh, I'm the code enforcement officer for the town, of Solar City. There's a set of guidelines in the town code, um, or laws. They're actually laws. It deals somewhat with aesthetics and things like that of the town, and my, my job is to. Enforce, and uh, I try to use kids' gloves to do that. I don't try to, you know, scare anybody into anything or anything else. I ask them politely. And
2: team is doing a, a good job. The problem is he doesn't speak enough Spanish. My name is Marcia Espinola, and I'm the associate director for the Hispanic liaison, El Vinculo Hispano. We were agreed that the community was needing some help. What's that house
10: over there? Can you see the house over there, Marcia?
2: Hi. How are you
10: obviously he wasn't the English speaking and she explained to him that he needed to remove the sofa from the porch interior furniture on the outside which is not allowed by the town code um, and she told him that he could take it inside or he could take it to the curb The town office free curb pickup uh, once a week
2: you okay. may
0: okay. have
10: not Done the graffiti. Of someone I said else. That. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I have no say clue what else? you said. <laughs> no, you I, 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 just else. thanks for your cooperation. Thank
2: you. Gracias.
10: You know that some of these people came from some incredibly uh, wretched living conditions,
6: mm-hmm.
10: and you know you don't you don't know the customs and stuff.
2: Some people said, "Well, the Hispanics don't clean their yards and everything," but. Maybe it's because they don't understand the language. Because after we went last year talking to, I don't know, 10 places, 20 places,
6: yeah.
2: everybody cleaned their houses. I've
10: been here almost eight years. Uh, it's not nearly as bad as it was when I first came here.
2: Uh, so it's helped everybody. And hopefully he's going to speak Spanish next year.
10: <laughs> I know about 100 Spanish words, something yeah. like that. Maybe two, Maybe 200 now.
11: I've been working on it. Um, I just want to get a quesadilla um pollo. green chicken? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do like the
1: regular or do like the, one? Uh, the regular one? The regular one, yeah. Chicken?
11: With arroz? With arroz? Yeah. Um, my name is Calvin Dark. I'm 29. I was born and raised here in Siler City. I now live in Washington, D.C. So, you know, I've lived and studied abroad a lot, but I always kind of kept the connection. I think because my family is here. Um, all of my family, my mother's side and father's side. We're at probably one of my favorite restaurants in Siler City, um, San Felipe Mexican restaurant. In 2000, when I studied in Argentina, when I got back here, I you know, wanted to just practice Spanish and everything. So the first thing I did was to tell my parents I wanted to eat Mexican food. They were not that excited about it at first because they never had Mexican food, they didn't know what it was, and um, my parents loved the food, you know. Um, that was a few years ago. Coming to the Mexican restaurant to get fajitas or quesadillas, it's not something, you know, exotic anymore. That's why I think, you know, this restaurant and se- several others have done a lot to kind of like just open up the culture, to let people in Silver City know, you know, people eat just like we do here, you know. Uh credit Uh, yeah. Good good afternoon. Afternoon. Black people felt that we had a place here. I mean some parts of it were good, some parts of it were not good. My mother never went to, you know, an integrated high school. But it was a definite place. Um I've never felt anywhere anything but at home here. At the same time, um having a new group come in. It was just, it was very tense, you know, very, very tense.
4: My name is Susan Alston, and I'm a native of South City. I've been here lifelong, and I'm Calvin Dark's aunt. My family history with First Baptist Church go back for, I guess, 70, 80 years with my uh, grandmother being rooted there. In fact, uh, the first minister there was our great uncle, Uncle Doc Siler, and uh, we have all just been there all our lives, just as a hand-me-down family. You're a Baptist, you go to First Baptist.
11: I'm Calvin Dark, and we're here on the dark side because <laughs> we have my um, Aunt Susie's house here, and then just over there is um, my grandmother's house. The Mount Pookie's house is there. Uh, next door to hers is Mount Betty's house. Hey, hey, it's you Aunt Susie, you probably already met. my Mount Pookie.
3: I'm Zilphia Dark. Zilphia, Z Y L P H I A. They call me Pookie. <laughs> I'm 63 and be 64 June the 4th. I retired from the government as an inspector in the plants last year. So I work with the Latinos. But they are hard working people, and I understand the reason why they are coming because no work. F- if they were poor like I was growing up, I can understand trying to feed your family. You're about to do anything. The work is really hard work in the poetry plant, and I think they treat. Them, well, to me, the Latinos are really taking place, of the blacks, what we used to go through. But I'm a believer God made us and love us all. And I try to treat people the way I want to be treated.
4: I have a different point of view than my sister, which I love dearly, but we think differently. I mean, we look at the Hispanics as coming in because of their uh, lack of necessities from Mexico. But then I ask myself, Could we in turn do the same if we were to want to move to Mexico just by flood? And yes, I believe that all of us are human, but to see the same things, the rights that I never had in high school, to just be able to go into a store without feeling the oppression of I'm taking something or I'm being watched. And, and, and that's just the way I feel. I, I don't hate the Hispanics. I just think they stepped into a place that we still haven't arrived at. 2008.
6: For white folks, you know, it's kind of like a no-win situation for them. This is Paul Quadras again, the uh, soccer coach at Jordan Matthews High School. If they've learned anything from the civil rights movement, from the history with African Americans, and them applying those things that they've learned to this new group of Latinos, then it feels like to African Americans that they're being stepped over, that, you know, you didn't treat us that way and now you're treating them that way. Why? So what are whites and Latinos supposed to do? Recreate this history all over again of oppression and misunderstanding? Or really learn from the history that's happened of race relations in the U.S. and the South? In 2006, we had the marches that happened all across the U.S. where immigrants decided that they needed to express their opposition to what was happening in Congress at the time. That was the same march that happened in Siler City as well.
9: This is Ilana Dubester. It wasn't an angry event. It was really about you know, immigration reform and solidarity. And a lot of people spoke. A lot of African-American leaders spoke. And a lot of people walked up to the mic and asked to speak. And, um, and so we filled up this whole block and the entire church parking lot with people and on top of town hall as well.
8: I am Barry Hayes. This was a much larger turnout. Uh, the, the David Duke march maybe had 200 people there. This one had uh, over 1,000 people, maybe 1,500 people.
9: We figured it would probably, be in total, about you know, five, six, seven thousand 6 7,000 people.
8: I think the town just felt like that this was the wrong way to, to go about getting something. If you wanted to ask for something or gain the favor of the community, that they were just going about it in, in totally the wrong way.
9: Tough shit. I mean, that's what it was about. It's okay if we're invisible. It's okay if we're silent. It's okay if we hide in our houses. It's okay if we break our backs and twist our hands cutting a freaking chicken. But for us to stand in front of your town hall, demanding better services, demanding a better life and a better future, that's too much. You brown people stepped out of your place. We want a new place. Look how many of us are here. We have power in this town, right? We don't actually have power in terms of representation or anything we don't have, right? But, but look, at, look at what's happening, and look at what we can do.
6: When I talk about those five stages, you know, this is really dealing with the loss of the culture. The, you know, the culture is changing, and that's what makes this issue so volatile. Uh, the last stage, of course, is acceptance, and uh, I don't necessarily think that Silas City is totally there, um, but it's certainly not as angry as it used to be.
4: Go, Jet. Oh, good job, Deborah! Well, my name is Virginia Tovar. I'm the interpreter here at the high school, and I do a little bit of everything, not just interpreting, but um, slash secretary, slash nurse, slash counselor, slash...
7: look. Le- <laughs> Meredith Pleasance. Okay, I'm Jenny Pleasance, and um, I have a daughter that's a senior, and Miss Tobar's been at Jordan Matthews um, for the last four years, and she's, she's just one that kind of knows Everybody, Every, everybody, everybody, yeah. no matter who they are, where, what grade they're in, where they go, to, you know, <laughs> church, whatever. And she can speak <laughs> Spanish in one second and then turn around and speak English to me when I walk in the door. I don't know what thing she said five minutes before, but it's like, whatever, it works. <laughs> she really is a gem to Joy Matthews. Oh, well, She really you. is. Thank you. She is a gem. We're very lucky. Well, thank
4: you. <laughs> um, as far as a coach, I mean, awesome coach too. Coach Cuadros, um, He's he. I think he's been just a positive impact on this school too. Cause, I mean, we just started our soccer team. Um, it's been just a few years, which we didn't have a soccer team as far as the boys and the girls.
6: You know, a small towns' identity is usually wrapped up with its high school, its schools. The most visible part of that school is on its athletic fields. Now, Saudi City is a real football town, uh, a very traditional sports town. There was a lot of resistance to uh, the soccer program at the high school uh, initially. Late 90s, early uh, turn of the century. It was quickly seen as something for the Latino students at the school.
10: Paul had a hard time getting uh, really the, the access to the fields and... That he came to our rotary, and some more people got involved, and they decided to go ahead and start a soccer team and let the field be used. John Pleasant's from Solar City. I grew up here, and I've traveled around, but I, I'm back here raising my kids. I love this town, and I, I love the area. Of course, now you've got a great involvement. They won the state championships with the boys, and the girls' team, uh, as you can see, has got great camaraderie out there. They don't really care where where their background is. They're they're all great kids that enjoy each other.
6: What the uh, Jets did, uh, it was uh, it was real big. It got the long-term residents to look at these kids as one of their own. These kids were not just Latino kids; they were Jets.
5: San Francisco, and aquí estoy con con mis Helen and Madeline. I'm Francisco. I'm here watching the game with my two daughters, Helen and Madeline, and all the other fans that are here watching. It's beautiful. We're here supporting our girls.
2: I think it's good to have different people in the team, especially uh, white girls, because you get to know them better, and you realize that it's not how others say that Sometimes they're being racist, but, like, the girls in my soccer team, they, like, uh, invite us to their house and and have, like, food and play out there, and that's cool. I think it's great to have friends that they're from different countries, and because you learn from them, and they learn from you.
6: You know, when people talk about, oh, this is, you know, this immigration question, it's not about immigration. It's about demographic change you can deport all 12 million undocumented immigrants you know, I don't know how many of them are Hispanic, the majority might be but the demographic change is still gonna happen and that loss of power, numbers, whatever, that frightens a lot of people but change is inevitable it's it's one of the physical laws of the universe nothing stays the same, everything changes and um, that's a good thing. Good job! Good to
0: Maybe you caught that last shout by Jenny Pleasants, the same soccer mom who said earlier that she couldn't pronounce the names of the Latina players. She seemed to do okay with Eudira. So the documentary brought the Siler City story up to 2008. In Paul Quadros's stages of grief analogy, Siler City had gone from anger around 2000, the time of David Duke's visit, to tentative acceptance eight years later. But one of the town's two big chicken processing plants closed in 2008, and the other plant closed three years later a one-two punch that drained almost 2,000 jobs from a town of about 10,000 people. Of course, it was the chicken plants that had brought the Latino families to Siler City. So when that industry died locally, some people thought, well, the immigrants will leave. And for some long-timers, the thought may well have been, too bad about the jobs, but now we'll get our town back. It wasn't that simple. Paul Quadros was good enough to write a short essay-slash-update for us. Paul picks up the story.
6: The exodus did not happen. Instead, the Latino community continued to grow. Siler City went from a commercial agricultural town to a majority Latino bedroom community, where families work everywhere but in town. On any given weekend, you can't turn your head without seeing a baby shower, a christening, or a wedding. For a town that was aging out, Siler City is getting younger, and it shows in the schools. Jordan Matthews High School is majority Latino. That's due to growth, but also because of white flight to the nearby local charter school. The soccer team I founded at JM is thriving, with more than 60 kids trying out each season. Meanwhile, football is diminishing. When your town almost goes bankrupt, you learn the old ways are gone forever. City leaders have had to change. Their attitude towards Latinos has had to change because Latinos are now the majority of the residential tax base. Gone is the old attitude of saying no, replaced by a new attitude of we'll try it. In 2012, the town even said yes to renovating the old high school's baseball field into a new soccer field. We heard two things from townspeople on the project. One, they'll never get it done because Siler City can never get anything done. And two, they're taking an American baseball field and turning it into a Mexican soccer field. Some things die hard. But when we got a 100 volunteers to lay fresh sod down on the field and turned on the sprinklers, it was a new day in Siler City. Local leaders today see Latinos as an asset, bringing life and vitality to a dying town. Now city leaders are working to try to integrate the Latino community into civic life so they can step up and represent the community. Last year I went on a trip to Mexico with the local police chief and the town manager to learn more about Mexican culture and it opened up eyes in City Hall. Change keeps happening in Siler City. The Latino boys I coach on the high school team today are not like the boys of yesterday. Most were born here. Some are self-indulgent and into material things. They're Americans. Compared to the original Jets, they have lost those old world values. But I still see that dedication to hard work and respect in the kids who recently crossed the border. And there are a growing number of former players, Latinos, who want to engage in civic life and make the town a better place. Having grown up in a country where their love has been unrequited, they seek to become a part of local government and make their community better. This past year, a new company purchased the old chicken plant and will bring 800 jobs back. With a ready-made workforce, the town's prospects are looking up. But will the town have learned a lesson from the migration? While Siler City has long left behind its angry phase, it remains to be seen if the town will slide back to old ways and ignore the community or lash out at them. For me and many others, there is no other path forward but acceptance. If the first generation of the migration was about everyone finding a place to fit in, the next generation will be about integrating and accepting each other. Today at the new soccer field, everyone plays. My high school team, the local soccer league, the Latino league, and even the kids from the mostly white charter school. Everyone plays there, just on their own teams, not together. But that's coming, I believe. We'll all be playing there soon on one level playing field. It's coming.
0: Paul Quadros, he's the soccer coach for the girls and the boys at Jordan Matthews High School in Siler City. He's also a journalism professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Paul's book about Siler City and his soccer teams is called A Home on the Field. Props again to Tennessee Watson, my indispensable Spanish-speaking co-producer, on the Nuevo South Dock. Thanks for listening. There's more to come here in Season 2. If you're interested in stories about race in these more or less United States, there are lots of them on that theme from our first season. Go see the back catalog on your podcast app or at our website, seenonradio.org. In fact, just looking here at stories that explore race from Season 1, Episodes 1, 2, 3, 5, a little bit in 6, 7, oh, 9 for sure, let's see, 15. Speaking of which, I want to tell you about another good podcast that comes out of Duke University, Ways and Means. It's produced by folks at the Sanford School of Public Policy and hosted by the excellent public radio veteran Emily Hanford. The latest episode from Ways and Means explores whiteness, Who's white and who isn't, and how that has shifted over the years. Illuminating stuff. Check it out. Scene on Radio comes to you from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University.